Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Robbie. Turn with me again this morning to 1 John and chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Perhaps as I read the scripture to you earlier this morning, you thought, boy, this sounds awfully familiar. Haven't we studied this passage already? And the answer to that question is no, we have not. However, the Apostle John has prepared and presented the teachings on the love of God two times before in this epistle. This is the third time, and by the way, not the last. He's going to bring this subject up one more time later on. What I want you to understand is that every time he brings it up, he adds to our understanding of what the love of God is. And so while there is much repetition, which will help us to move through the passage a bit quicker, we also need to make sure that we pick up the new information that he wants us to understand about the love of God. So this is the third time that he's talking about God's love. But he's talking about it not only in his manifestation of love toward us, but also of our need to manifest in return that love to him, but also to the people of God. And the emphasis of this passage is more on loving the people of God than it is on loving God himself, though loving God is our highest priority. The greatest of all commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so we need to make our priority loving God with everything that we are. But John's argument here is if you love God that way, you will love his people in the very same way. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a human sense in which that's just a little bit shocking to me. I can understand loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind and strength, giving Him my all and doing everything for Him and and my life at His disposal. I can understand that because of all He's done for me. But in this passage, we're going to find out that if we truly love God, we will love others as God has loved us. And not just others and in anybody. He's talking specifically about the children of God. And so there's a sense in which the love you have for God should be reflected out to your brethren. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you find it easier to love God than to love people? Hmm? Why is that? Well, the reason is simple, right? Have you looked in the mirror? Right? 
No, isn't it true? I don't mean your physical appearance, but what I mean is when we look in the mirror, don't we immediately begin to recognize our own weaknesses and inadequacies? I mean, I've let a lot of people down. In fact, everybody I've ever known, I'm sure I have let down at one time or another. We all do that. It's a part of the human nature. And yet God says, if you love me properly, you will love my children the way I love my children. How does God love you? Does his, is his love dependent upon how well you're doing today? Boy, if that were the case, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? Maybe you're having a good day, but they aren't all good, right? Sometimes we struggle. But what we're going to see in this passage is that when I look at my brother, what I need to see is that my brother is a fellow heir with Christ. And if he loved them that much and he gave himself for them, who am I not to love them and to sacrifice for them? For by the way, that is what loving is. It is giving sacrificially to people who don't deserve it. That's the love we're talking about in this passage. Now, what I want you to understand, this is the new thing that comes into this passage. In this passage, the focus is on the fact that the triune God loves us. Now, when we think about being loved... We think about God the Father loving us, right? Generally speaking, we say, God loves me. We're thinking of the Father. Now, we will also say Jesus loved us. He manifested that when he died for us, right? He sacrificed for us. But do you often think about the fact that the Holy Spirit loves you? That's probably not as common a thought that goes across our minds. Yes, God the Father, God the Son in maybe not a lesser way, but in a different way. But the Holy Spirit? What we're going to see in this passage is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all love us because God is one. He cannot be divided. And what the Father loves, the Son loves, the Spirit loves, and we are the objects of that love. And that's an amazing thing. Now, I want to just... Go through in your notes there. I put a definition of the Trinity. There are many ways to express. This is just one of them. But let me read this definition. And then when I'm finished reading, I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. God is three persons in one essence. Now this goes against everything we understand on planet Earth. (laughs) How can something be one and only one and yet within the one be three? We don't have anything to compare it to. People try to use illustrations from the the world and they say, well, it's like an egg. When you say, give me an egg, you don't mean give me the shell. You don't mean give me the white. You don't mean give me the yolk. You mean give me an egg and it's three parts, but it's one egg. Sorry, the problem is the shell is different from the white, which is different from the yolk. And in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not only co-equal, they are exactly the same essence. So that's not a good illustration. Some people say, well, what about um, water? Because you can have liquid water, you can have 
water that becomes steam, and you can have water that becomes ice. The problem is, once they get into those separate conditions, they are not the same. They're different. One is hard, one is liquid, and one is messy on your face. All right? We have nothing in human nature to compare it to, and yet God is three persons in one essence. So when you think about God, you must keep in mind God is one. God is one. God is one. The divine essence subsists wholly and indivisibly. You cannot divide the Father from the Son or from the Holy Spirit. Impossible. They are one essence, always have been, always will be. They are simultaneously and eternally one. And yet they are three members within the one Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now we made the point last week that until the incarnation, the Trinity was described as the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And then God said at the incarnation of Christ, this day have I begotten thee. And the word became known as and referred to as the Son of God. And so when we think of the Trinity today, we think of Jesus as the Son of God because he took human form. He has a glorified material body today. And so when we think of the, the Trinity, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is the living word of God. Amen. He's the word. That has not changed. He's still God. But he's manifest in human flesh. So, there is one God, one essence and one essence only. But within the one essence, there is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three separate personalities. But they are co-equal and they are only one essence, one nature. Their functions within the one essence are different. And yet their functions are not separate from one another. In other words, the Father didn't die on the cross. The Spirit didn't die on the cross. But yet because Jesus did and He is God, it's as though the Father and the Spirit did as well. And you can apply that to all areas. When one does something, all three do it. Even though one of the persons may be the specific individual within the specific person who does that work. And yet, they can't do anything separate from one another. That's why Jesus said, I haven't come to do my will. I've come to do the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now... These three persons together are one and only one God. And we've got to have that straight. Now, having said that, I want to go into this theme of the love of God from the standpoint of God as a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loving us. All right, let's just bow for prayer. Lord, I need your help. Uh, I want to be able to be clear as I talk about this important subject today and help us to see in this passage of Scripture that you, Father, love us, that you, blessed Lord Jesus, you love us, that you, blessed Holy Spirit, you love us. And because you love us, we must love one another. Take the truth and apply it to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we talk about the Trinity, one of the issues that takes place in people's minds 
is that they find it hard to think of God the Father and God the Son as being equal. In human terms, and I mentioned this last week, in human terms, I have a father, my father has a son, but we are two completely separate individuals. Now, there's a sense in which I have come out of him, even as in the Old Testament it talked about them coming out of the Israelites, coming out of the loins of Abraham. I am a descendant of my father. That is why being father and son in heaven with God is different than being father and son on this planet. Because father and son are not only part of one essence, but they are co-equal. It's not Father and Son and then Holy Spirit. It is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are all on the same level. They have the same glory. They have the same nature. They have the same everything. But there are places in the scripture that show that they are one. And I want to show you some of these. Now, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. Now, depending on what translation of the scripture you use, this verse will either be in your Bible or it won't. If you have a King James Version or a New King James Version, this verse will appear in your Bible. If you have an ESV or a New International or some other translation like that, the NASB, this verse will not be there. It will skip from verse 6 to verse 8. And the reason it does that is because the different translations of Scripture come from different lines of manuscripts. And in the one line of manuscripts, verse 7 does not appear. But the King James and the New King James Version, which is what we basically use here in our church, this line of manuscripts is called the Textus Receptus. You've probably heard of that. The Textus Receptus has this verse in it. And therefore, it appears in our translation of the Bible. Let me just say this. If your Bible does not have this verse, it doesn't make your Bible heretical. And the reason that is the case is because it's from two different lines of manuscripts. And you can only translate from that line of manuscripts what's there. This was not a conspiracy to remove verses from the Bible. The other thing, let me say this very quickly. This verse is the clearest and most direct statement demonstrating that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Or that the Father, the first person, second person, and third persons of the Trinity are all equal. They are one. But this truth is taught over and over and over again in the Bible. So the fact that it's not in some translations here, it is in other verses in those translations. So by it not appearing, it's not some conspiracy to corrupt the Bible. Okay, I just want you to understand that. But notice what it says in verse 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And John uses this phrase for the Son called the Word because as he begins his gospel, he says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then he says in verse 14, the Word was made flesh. And that can only refer to Jesus. And so he says there are three that give witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. But now, I want to go down through several verses, and I, 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 we don't have time to look them all up. They're in your notes, and you can look them up later. I'm going to read them to you today. But in John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus says that he and the Father are one. 
I and my Father are one, John 10, 30. The immediate response of the Jews was to accuse Jesus of blasphemy because they said, you are making yourself equal with God. They understood that for him to say, the Father and I are one, was to say, I am co-equal with the Father. And the Jews are monotheists. They believe in one God like we do, except they don't believe in a trinity. They believe that there's one God, his name is Jehovah. But the Bible says that Jehovah is only, it's probably God's primary name, but it's not his only name. He has many names, Elohim, Adonai, and I could go on and on and on. But there is the Father, who we often think of as Jehovah. There is the Word, who is Jesus, and then there is the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of God. But he says, I and my Father are one, we're co-equal. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 says that the Father and the Holy Spirit are one. Do you not know that you are the temple of who? The temple of God. And in this context, he's talking about the temple of Jehovah. He said, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. And so he's saying here, God indwells you and who else indwells you? The Holy Spirit. Now we often in our thinking are wrong theologically because we often think, well, who's living in my life? And we often say, well, I, I receive Jesus as my Savior. And, we, and I think it's, 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 we've got to be careful when we tell children to ask Jesus to come into their hearts. The reason I say that, it's not that he won't come to indwell. In fact, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit indwell us. They all do. But the danger is to think that somehow Jesus is a little person who's sitting inside of them, sitting on the throne, and then they forget the fact that God the Father and the Holy Spirit also indwell us. So folks, today, you are indwelt not just by, and we often think too, right, the Holy Spirit, he, he lives within us. You're not indwelt just by the Spirit. You're not indwelt just by Jesus. You are indwelt by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you more verses about that in just a moment here. So the Father and the Spirit are one. Thirdly, the Son and the Spirit are one. Look at this one in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, please. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. Now, when Paul writes to the believers in Rome, he says this, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now, what he's talking about being in the flesh means, he says, you are not unregenerate. You are in the spirit. You are children of God. You have the spirit living within you. He says, if indeed the spirit of who dwells in you? The spirit of God dwells in you. But then he goes on to say, now if anyone does not have the spirit of who? The spirit of Christ, he is not his. What he's saying is, the spirit of God is the same spirit of Christ. And that means that the Son and the Spirit are one. And so we have the Father indwelling us. We have the Son indwelling us. And we have the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ indwelling in us. And let me show you one more. Go to John chapter 14. 
John chapter 14, and I want to read verses 16, 18, and 23. And in this passage, we're going to see that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one and refers to all three of them in this passage. John chapter 14 and verse 16 says, And I, that's Jesus, will pray the Father, that's God the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, this is very, very important. We do not see this in the English translation. In the Greek language, the word another is translated by two completely separate different words. Sometimes it means another of the same kind, and sometimes it means another of a different kind. In this case, the word that is chosen is that he's another of the same kind. So what is Jesus saying? I will pray the Father. I'm going to ask the Father to give you another helper who is what? Just like me. That's what he's saying. And he will abide with you forever. So the Spirit is going to come to abide. Then notice verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. I will what? I will come to you. So he's saying that he too is going to indwell us. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And notice, we will Come to him. Who's he talking about here? The Father and Jesus. Not talking about the Holy Spirit here. He's talking about the Father and Jesus. He says, my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our what? Make our home with him. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but I want to tell you something. I've always been thrilled to know the Holy Spirit was indwelling me, but I have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, one essence, but three separate persons within that one essence, and they are all with me all the time. I'm never alone. Ever feel alone? You know one of the biggest problems we have in life? Feelings. Do you have days when you feel saved? And maybe some days when you begin to wonder, how could I have that attitude or say that thing or do that thing and be a real Christian? How, how, how's that? And we begin to question and wonder. If you do anything based upon how you feel today, folks, if you're not having a good day, anyone ever wake up in the morning and there's not a single reason for it, but you're already down? And there's no reason. Nothing happened in the night. Unless you had a crazy dream like I have sometimes, and those upset me sometimes. But but you understand what I'm saying? You can go to bed at night. Everything's great. You wake up the next morning, it's like, what's going on with my life, Right? And there's no reason. If you immediately give place to those feelings, guess what? You're going to say, where's God? But if you wake up in the morning and you're feeling like that, and you're feeling terrible, your response ought to be, I may not feel like it, but God says he is in me. So I know he is. 
You must base what you believe on what God says, not on how you feel. Feelings will destroy you. Now, feelings can be good too, right? I mean, there are times when I feel really close to the Lord, and I tell you, that's wonderful. Do you ever have times when you're praying and you just sense the presence of God? Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever prayed and didn't sense the presence of God? I want to tell you something. He was as much there then as he was when you were feeling it. Because God doesn't act based upon what we are like. He acts based upon who he is in his nature. And that is why, folks, he will never, ever, ever stop loving you. We're going to see in this passage, God does not possess the attribute of love. God is love by nature. He can't do anything else but love. And that ought to encourage our hearts. Now, Jesus is saying here, we will come to him and make our home with him. In exhibiting the unity between the members of the Trinity, the word of God in no way denies the simultaneous existence and distinctiveness of each of the three persons of the Godhead because they do have different functions, but they cooperate in everything that they do. That's why Jesus could say, my father is going to raise me up. That's why Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I will raise it up again. And he later on says that we are raised by the Spirit for our justification. He was raised by the Spirit for our justification. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was raised. He was raised once. But he was raised by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in cooperation together. Now, having said all of that, that's all introduction. The Trinity has implications not only for what believers think about God, but also for how they relate to God and to one another. In other words, if we want to properly relate to God, we have to understand what God is really like. When you have a wrong conception of God, the way you relate to God will be wrong. If you have a right conception of God, the way you relate to God will be hopefully right if you're doing relating in conjunction with who he is by nature and attribute. Now, having said that, this is in your notes there. God is a relational being. God is a relational being. There, there's this error that has been taught by some suggesting that the reason God made the world is because he was lonely. God said, boy, I, I like being God. This is a great thing. I'm, I'm glad to be God, but you know what? I, I feel so lonely. I got no one to talk to. I got, I got no one to praise me. I got, I, I got nothing. I, I think I'm going to make man so that I won't be so lonely. Look, if that's what you think about God, you don't have a very big God. You really don't. God was never lonely. God was a relational being. You want to know why? Because there was a perfect and eternal communion between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They love each other. And they fellowship with each other. And God didn't need us to be whole. 
God has always been whole. He will always be whole. But what he did was he made us that we might be able to relate to him. And by the way, why did he make man? The Bible says that God made the world and specifically made man for his own glory. He didn't make us because he was lonely. He made us because he wanted us to be beings who of our own free will love him and worship him. And that was true of Adam and Eve in the beginning, wasn't it? They were there and God would come to the garden. He would walk with them and he would talk with them. And they had fellowship together. Can you imagine having that kind of experience? And then the day comes when man chooses to become independent of God and to do his own will, to do what he wants rather than what God wants. You see, God from the beginning had one rule. Just one. We got ten commandments. And then there's a whole bunch of others, right? You go through the Bible, commandment after commandment. In the Garden of Eden, they had one. Don't eat of that one tree. Just that one. They could eat from the tree of life, by the way. They, they had to, to survive. God gave them that tree of life that sustained, the scripture says it sustained their lives. They would have lived forever eating from that tree. So they could eat from the tree of life. What they couldn't eat was from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God says, you can eat uh, all these trees, the tree of life, but also all the trees. The garden was full of trees. And they were all full of fruit. There was everything man could possibly need. God says, you just can't have anything from that tree. Eat that, you'll die. So what does man want? The woman being deceived... But Adam's sitting there like a lump on a log, not protecting her, standing up for God's word and truth. They end up eating together and they understand the knowledge of good and evil and we've been on a downward fall ever since. Except God knew all that was going to happen and he made plans for our redemption. And I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but before the foundations of the world, folks, God had this all worked out. But, but here's my point. God made us so we could have a relationship with him because he had a perfect relationship within himself. And he wanted you and I to experience that. The perfection of that relationship. We will enjoy that in heaven someday. There will be no barriers between us and God. There'll be nothing that will keep us from enjoying him to the fullest. Jesus said, I came to give them life and that they might have it what? More abundantly. <laughs> Y'all look like you're all so happy this morning. I don't know, maybe you didn't eat your Wheaties this morning or something. I don't know. I want to tell you, it's exciting. It's exciting when you think about this. God is a relational being. And God designed man to be a relational being. What was the first thing he said about man? It's not good for a man to be alone. So he blessed man with the gift of a help meet. That means one who could come alongside and fill in what he lacked. 
that's why when people get married, they become one flesh. It's him and her together, and the him and her become one. I love, they have a little saying in South America, men, when, when they talk about their wife or if they talk about their girlfriend, they'll say, she's my half orange, my media naranja. Because what he's saying is, I'm the other half, and she's that other half. We, together, we make a whole. We're one being. We're one person. God says, man, you need this woman in your life to help complete you. And for most people, that is their experience. There are certain ones that God allows to be alone, and that's a part of his purpose and plan as well. Paul didn't have a wife, or if he did, she had passed away by the time he became the apostle. And, and God gave him the grace to be able to get through life without having that help meet. But I am confident of one thing. I'll bet there were many times when Paul felt the absence of a woman in his life. God says, I don't want you to be alone. And guess what? God says to man, I also want you to be in relationship with me, with God. He put within man self-awareness, the ability to think rationally, to appreciate beauty, to acquire wisdom, to feel emotion, to understand morality. All of this is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And he gave us this incredible capacity. The capacity to love one another. Now that capacity along with all of the others has been corrupted by the introduction of sin into the world. But God made it clear from the beginning what I want for you is to be in relationship with me. And through that connection with God himself have a wonderful relationship with other people who believe in the living God. The honest truth, brethren, and, and our time is just about gone, so I'm going to, rather than move into the, 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 the next step in this message, I'll pick up next week, Lord willing. But folks, listen, I, just look around for a minute. Please just look around for a minute. Don't just look at me. That'll scare you. But just look around for a moment. Folks, listen, God wants you to deeply and in a compassionate way to love one another. I should so look forward to church, to getting together with God's people, to seeing my brothers and sisters who've been washed in the same blood of the Lamb, to get together with my brother and my sister who this week came to know a little more about God than they knew the week before and we come together to share that with one another. To help each other grow. To help each other be strong and to stand up when we feel weak. When we see each other it ought to be like, like, like seeing your long lost friend. I mean that. We ought, we ought to be... So happy to see each other. But my question is, is that the way we come to church most of the time? Or do we just come say, man, I hope you didn't go over too much today. Got to get out of here and get home and eat my roast beef. Listen, I'll let your roast beef burn in the oven. How's that? <laughs> no, but you understand what I'm saying? God made you to love him but he made you to love one another the same way you love him. 
And I think sometimes while we aren't perfect in loving God, I think we tend to love God better than we love one another. And we need to ask God to help us. We need to. I remember years ago when we were missionaries in Chile. It came time for our son Toby to come home on, on furlough and go to college. He had just turned, just barely hit his 17th birthday. We were going to bring him home and put him in college and then get on the plane and head right back to Chile. It was awful hard. I sobbed and sobbed that day. Oh, my word. He just keeps saying, Dad, please. <laughs> but it was hard for me as a dad to let go of him. But you know I had one hope. You know what my hope was? We'd already bought him a ticket to come back to Chile for Christmas. And I knew that everything going hopefully normally and well, come Christmas time, he'd be on a plane and he'd be headed back down to Chile. And I remember that day when he was coming in. Look, we were so excited. Wanda, Jody, and I, we, we just couldn't wait for that kid to, to get there. And there's this big glass wall that you can look in and see where they come in to get their suitcases and all that and then where they have to go through customs and I mean but you can see the whole thing they've set it up that way and you know what when when I stepped back from there I didn't realize what I was doing but when I stepped back my entire face was planted right on that glass wall and you could see the grease from my face right there <laughs> planted on the wall I just had my face I wanted to see my kid and he was six foot five so he tended to stand out you know and a redhead to boot. But I tell you what, the minute that boy came around the corner and we saw him, the excitement just built. And when he walked out through that door, I ran to that kid and I grabbed a hold of him. And I think, you know, it's a good thing he's a big boy and strong because he practically had to hold me up. But folks, you know what? That's the way we ought to kind of look forward to Jesus coming again, shouldn't we? Just can't wait for him to come. Just waiting for the sign of him to come around the corner. And when it comes time to come to the house of God, we ought to say, I can't wait to see my brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Because together, we are a people of God. And God made us for relationship. May the Lord help us. May the Lord help us. Loving is more than feeling emotions. Loving is demonstrating love in practical, real, heartfelt ways. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for the word today. We pray that you'd help us to put it into practice. Thank you that you are the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are one, and yet within the one nature that you are, there are three divine persons personalities with different functions and yet none of those functions are done separate from one another. You have one will and one purpose and you do everything together. Lord, one of those purposes that you had was to make us so that we might enter into relationship with you and with one another and that the foundation of that relationship be agape love. Lord, we're going to talk about that next week. What does that mean? How does God love us? And so how should we love one another? 
Prepare our hearts to hear and to receive the word and to respond to it. Dismiss us now with your blessing and give journeying mercies to my brethren, Lord, as they go back home. And for those of us that will gather for Bible study tonight, I pray that we will be prepared, Lord, to have you speak to our hearts tonight from Psalm 23. Thank you, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand Him better and the truth He's laid out for us in His Word. If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website and just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.